Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all feeling well today. Jacob's Children is where I'll be reading. Genesis 29, 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Thank you, Annette. Well, we're going to continue in our series here in Genesis. Uh, I hope you have had a good week um, as we enter into this wonderfully dysfunctional family and, uh, and have a look at what this means. If you could just, yeah, thanks, Graham. All right, let me pray and, uh, and we'll have a, have a closer look at this passage and some of the, some of the text that follows it. Father God, thank you uh, for your presence, even in the mess of our relationships and our families, Lord. You enable, you equip, you provide and father as we open up your word now we do come with it uh, come to it with a great anticipation that you will speak to us 
and that you will give us uh, great truths for us to take into our hearts and to go away with. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to say, if you're a producer of a television series, and I think there's a lot of history around this and you were starting to wane in ratings, uh, it appears there's no better way to capture the audience attention uh, than to introduce an unexpected love triangle. Um, now, you may, or I'll, I'll know who knows what's going on here. Uh, does anyone know any of those people? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, but whether it's uh, Kate, Jack and Sawyer from Lost, uh, or Joey, Dawson and Pacey from Dawson's Creek, I know I've missed the mark on all these, uh, Dylan, Brenda and Kelly from Beverly Hills 90210, it's sure to keep you watching, or maybe it won't, uh, to see where it's going to end up in this love triangle. There just always seems to be tension eh, at the end of every episode. Now, I know as good Christian people, we have no interest in love triangles. We don't watch shows like that at all. Well, this morning, it turns out you need to great, take great interest in a love triangle. So don't think love triangles aren't for you. Uh, there's a very unexpected and important love triangle on the horizon of biblical proportions. It sounds like something from the TV show Friends, which I'm sure you've heard of, but the Jacob, Leah and Rachel love triangle in Genesis 29 to 31 is what we are looking at this morning. So strap yourselves in, it's going to be an interesting ride. Um, the love triangle was unexpectedly introduced into our narrative last week uh, by Rachel and Leah's father Laban who deceived Jacob, if you remember, and gave Leah to him on his wedding night. And he ended up marrying her and, and uh, consummating that marriage when he thought it was Rachel. And, uh, and a week later, he married Rachel anyway. And so now he's got two wives. Um, the problem and the tension in, uh, in this love story is Rachel is the only one loved by Ross. Oh, sorry, that's friends is loved by, uh, by Jacob. Can you see how it's all, it's all intertwined and so excellent? And I've just slipped into that because it is. It is no different to us watching television. This is a real love triangle and it's in the Bible. So in this episode of the Days of Our Genesis Lives, we're going to see how this all plays out and we are going to look at a large portion of Scripture uh, it's basically chapter 29 to 31, right through to 31.16. Now, I might not look at the last part. We might leave that till next week. But to help us to kind of block that in our Western minds into three clear categories, uh, I've called it intervention, conception, and desertion. There you go. In intervention, conception, and desertion. So the first thing we see here is intervention. And we're told in chapter 29, verses 31 and 32 this, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. 
You see, we see an intervention by God into this love triangle. Leah has been given by Jacob under deceptive uh, ways uh, to Jacob and now she is with a man who does not love her, does not even want her and who in verse 32 we are told is miserable. That's an extraordinarily awful way to start your married life. We understand marriages change and we understand all relationships develop and we have our ups and downs and whatever. But a married life really should start with joy, excitement, passion, love. But Leah is miserable. So God intervenes and his intervention uh, ends up in blessing for Leah. See, I want you to just stop and realise God is the God of the forgotten. He is the God of the lonely. He is the God of the ones who have been rejected. It has always been that way. And so perhaps that's you. But God is with you, God sees you, and God will not leave you nor forsake you. But God intervenes, and well, Psalm 68 says God sets the lonely in families. And despite her husband's rejection, the all-powerful Lord of heaven and earth gives Leah a child, having her heart somewhat filled with children. But her hope is for her husband's love, we're told, and affection of her husband, and she thinks that perhaps now she has borne his firstborn son, that he will love her. But her hope is, uh, is not to be realised. Uh, and you can tell here that even in the naming of Reuben, Jacob is nowhere to be seen. That's his firstborn son. Surely this would be a joyous time for him. He is nowhere to be seen. Well, Leah names the child Reuben, which means see a son. Um, but for her, the significance of that name is God has seen her misery and has uh, consoled her with a child. Well, the intervention continues and we have the following verses right up to chapter 30, uh, verse 24, all about conception. And thank you, uh, Annette, for reading through. And she conceived again, and she conceived again, and she conceived again. And basically we have 11 or 12, really, conceptions in this passage, uh, one of them being a daughter, and then the, uh, the final son uh, comes a bit uh, further down in Genesis uh, 35. But you can see that God's intervention leads to the blessing of conception. And over uh, these 12 sons are eventually born. They become the pillars of God's people, Israel. And in the middle of them all is this daughter named Dinah, who's introduced uh, simply because she will play a very sad but important role later on. So if you think love triangles are not part of your life, well, the entire foundation of Israel, the entire foundation of God's promises being fulfilled uh, is built on a love triangle. But it's the names of the 12 tribes of Israel that will forever document this dysfunctional start to God's people. So despite our dysfunction in foolishness, God continues to function in wisdom. Now, I think it's helpful to go through these names, and I know that's small, and you're not going to be able to read the little writing 
but that gives you an idea of the names. Hopefully you can see them uh, up there just so uh, you can understand. And the story of this uh, love triangle is founded in these names. Every name is significant in how the 12 tribes of Israel have been established. So after Reuben, Leah conceives again in verse 33 and she names him Simeon, coming from the word to hear. Uh, Leah says, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. In verse 34, again she conceived and named the, him Levi, meaning attached, hoping that now that she had borne three sons to him, her husband would become attached to her. Verse 35, she conceives again and names him Judah, meaning praise, because this time she says she will praise the Lord. Now, I hope you're getting an insight into Leah during this time. Though lonely, though rejected, though filled with misery, she praises the Lord because she sees the blessing even if it is not what she deeply desires. It's actually quite remarkable when you think of her naming these sons and she gets to the point where she goes, I'm just going to praise the Lord this time. I'm not going to name him after something that I'm, I'm longing for uh, about my husband. There is a distinct shift here in her heart, I think. Uh, we are then told in verse 35, she stopped having children. Probably also a blessing to the poor woman. Uh, I have a friend who had five babies in five years and I can tell you she was more than happy not to have any more. Uh, she was exhausted. Uh, but the attention now moves to Rachel, the loved wife. And despite having the love of her husband, she's the one who's bitter and who's jealous of her sister who has had children. Isn't that fascinating how this works? What we have, we often overlook, and I say this to my boys all the time, focus on what you have and not what you don't have. But the human heart just always focuses on what we don't have. You know, it's, it's, it's just the, the root of everything that goes on. And this is the root of the Ten Commandments. We're always looking, envying and, 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 and looking uh, to, to, to others and what they have. But here, Rachel, she's bitter, she's angry, she's not happy, uh, and, and, she, uh, and, and it has an effect of her relationship with Jacob. And chapter 30, verse 1, tells us she thinks somehow, uh, I'm not going to make any more comment about husbands and wives, uh, but somehow it's Jacob's fault. Uh, and so she says, give me children or I'll die. I'm giving, trying my best. Um, can't do much more than what I'm doing. Uh, maybe she does think that he's manipulating the whole thing. I don't know. But when you do the sums, Lee is conceiving, she is not. Uh, somehow it's probably not Jacob's problem. But give me children or I will die, she says. Uh, a bit over the top, but I think it just gives you an insight of how much she longed and also that children were seen as a blessing by the Lord. Uh, well, uh, she responds with this angry statement. 
Uh, and sorry, Jacob responds with this angry and piercing statement in verse 2 of chapter 30. Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? That is a piercing statement. He is saying you are not blessed and it's your fault. But in the background, we've got, if you look back to the very first verse that we read today, verse 31, it is God who has enabled and God who has or disabled or, or, or unenabled, if you want to use a term that doesn't exist. Um, in other words, don't blame me, Jacob says, that God isn't blessing you. But if you remember back through our story, childlessness has been running as an important path in Genesis. Jacob's mother, Sarah, she struggled to conceive and have a child, as did Jacob's mother, Rebecca. And now Rachel does as well. And in all these instances, it has been a test of faith. Will they persevere in faith or to take matters into their own hands? Or just as Sarah had done, Rachel in her bitterness and jealousy turns to surrogacy. It was a common practice, if you remember back. They were doing it uh, as a normal part of the cultural uh, time in, the, in that place. Uh, and effectively what it meant is if you had a maidservant, you could give that maidservant to your husband uh, and any children that she bore, as long as you had done that uh, willingly and uh, and became effectively your children. Uh, and so she gives, <coughs> she gives her maidservant, uh, Bilhah, um, to, uh, to Jacob. Uh, now the problem we've got is that when you do that, then the maidservant is elevated within the household. And so in some respects, we're moving into a love quad quadrant, love square, doesn't have the same ring to it, uh, but Bilhah was given to Jacob. Uh, her first child was named Dan, meaning he judged, because she believed God had vindicated her and said, okay, well, here's your child, even though she'd taken it into her own hands. Then Bilhah conceived again in verse 7 and bore another son, uh, and she named him Naphtali, meaning wrestler, because of the great struggle that she'd been having with uh, Leah, her sister. Um, I have a feeling Rachel uh, is a little off in her perspective of reality, but she believes that this is a declaration that she has won that struggle. Well, not to be outdone, Leah then gives her maidservant, Zilpah, to Jacob. Now, I'm not sure what Jacob's thinking at this point, uh, but I guess he's a very obedient husband. Yep, sure, I'll just... Now I'll sleep with Zilpah um, and we have a love pentagon established uh, and, he re uh, and Zilpah conceives Gad, meaning good fortune, as that is how Leah saw Gad's birth. Then Zilpah has Asher, meaning happy, but we are also told uh, not because uh, she is happy, but because the women will call her happy. So I think Leah is still unhappy. I think Rachel is still, well, unhappy. In fact, I think this whole dysfunctional reality here hasn't led to much joy for anyone and who knows how these kids are going to grow up. They'll probably sell one of the, each other to slavery and they'll, you know, have all sorts of issues leading on. 
which we know that's exactly what happens. But Jacob now has eight sons to four different women. Now, I would love to have seen the dynamics of a celebration in their house. I would say Christmas, but obviously Christmas didn't exist. And I don't want to have those conversations afterwards. But in the background, we've got this tension that is still there. Uh, Rachel has not borne any children of her own. And when Leah's firstborn, Reuben, collects some mandrake plants for his mum, Rachel says in verse 14 to Leah, please give me some of your mandrakes. That's a mandrake. Um, Apparently, it's all over Harry Potter, for those who have read Harry Potter, and apparently they look like people, and if you Google it, all these Harry Potter mandrake people turn up. But that's a mandrake plant. Uh, It's effectively... Look, it's a, it's a, it's a root vegetable, um, it's a weed, uh, but that's what it is. Uh, but they used to call them love fruits uh, because they believed that if a woman ate the mandrake, they would become fertile. Um, so in verse 15, Leah responds to Rachel's request in a pretty bitter way. Uh, I think there's some real resentment going on in this household. She says, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? There's a lot of bitterness, a lot of resentment going on in this household. Now, I just want to note that if, well, let's note, if there's a case for polygamy, well, it's not here. Uh, I don't think, I think there's a real case against polygamy here. So let's just put that out there. But I, 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 I want you to just go back a little, if you've got your Bibles there, just simply where at the end of chapter 29 it says, then Leah stopped having children. Now here we have her saying, is it not enough that you've taken my husband? I think, and I don't read this in commentaries anywhere, this is, this is the gospel according to Adrian, so you know if you want to research, but I think what's happened is that after all those children, Rachel's been in Jacob's ear and she's basically gone, stop sleeping with her. You're making me out to be a fool. And I think the reason she stopped having children is because, as she said to Rachel here, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? She may not have seen Jacob since that time at the end of chapter 29 or in an intimate sense anyway. Anyway, you can make that up. For yourself but Rachel um, sees an opportunity uh, because she has not had relations with Jacob Leah hasn't had relations by the sounds of it with Jacob for a while so Rachel feels it's her uh, ability to sell him for some mandrakes and so she says well you can sleep with him tonight if you give me some mandrakes now I think there's some irony going on here Remember, Jacob is the deceiver. Jacob bought Esau's birthright by selling some stew to Esau. He's now being sold as a prostitute effectively. I know they're all married and everything, but he's effectively being sold by one of his wives to the other way for the other one for some for some mandrakes. 
I think there's some irony and some real intentional realities being brought out here of just how the human heart is trying to manipulate everything that's going on here. So just when you think it's all over, uh, sorry, um, and, and just when uh, he's been sold into uh, basically uh, sleeping with Leah, um, she stopped having the children, but he, he goes and sleeps with her, and what do you know, um, he come, we come out and we're told, uh, uh, Jacob came in from the fields, Leah goes to meet him, you must sleep with me. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. And like a very obedient man, he goes and sleeps with her that night in verse 16 and Leah conceives. But you need to notice in verse 17 here, God listened to Leah. Now right through this passage, this is coming up over and over again and we have to keep noticing it. God listened to Leah. Leah has cried out to him to, to remember her with children. He listens to her again, just as we're told he enabled her in, in verse 31. He listens to her and she became pregnant and bore a fifth son. Um, she says, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. I'm not so sure, but anyway. So she named him Issachar. Now, Issachar uh, basically is a play on the word uh, for hire. I'll give you that back. For hire. So there's this forever remembrance in the, in the foundations of Israel that one of the tribes was built on uh, one wife hiring out uh, the, other, the, the husband to the other wife. Well, just when you think it's all over for Rachel... Uh, the mandrakes, oh sorry, then there's uh, Zebulun, so obviously they, uh, the, the relations continued and Zebulun was born uh, to Leah uh, because she had borne him six sons, so she named him Zebulun, uh, this time because she believed her husband would treat her uh, with honour um, and Zebulun means honoured or endowed. Uh, but just when you think, and I want to, this is really important here, just when you think the mandrakes haven't worked, there's been two sons already born to Leah, uh, suddenly you've got this in verses 22 to 24. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant uh, and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. See, right through this passage, we've got God is the enabler. God is the one who enables conception. God hears. God is the one who remembers. And, uh, and uh, our prayers uh, will ultimately be answered if it is God's will. Um, but here you've also got, may the Lord add to me another son. Now I want you to notice the change in Rachel's approach to this. Last time it was her husband's fault. Give me another son. She hadn't even gone to the Lord. But now she turns to the Lord, remembers the Lord, and asks the Lord to give her 
another son. And that son will come. His name's Benjamin. He will become a very important son uh, to Jacob, uh, simply because Leah, uh, Rachel does die when she gives birth to Benjamin in chapter 35. And that rounds out uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, the later part of chapter 30 is about desertion and Jacob finally having enough with Laban. I think we'll look at that next week. Uh, we haven't got a time. But this morning, I, I just want to visit some of these recurring themes uh, that are going through uh, these narratives. And I want you to note a few things about the way God enables the 12 tribes of Israel to be born as uh, the descendants of the promises to Abraham, despite the deception, despite the dysfunction, despite all the ways that this, that this soap opera is playing out in real life, God continues to fulfil the promises he has given to Abraham. A great nation is being born. Twelve sons, which will be the pillars, and they will go into slavery, but ultimately they'll come out as, as a, a people so big that you cannot count them. And it all starts with this dysfunction of a deceptive man's family. See, God is bringing about his purposes. And throughout the passage, we're reminded of what was stated. God enabled. God is doing. God is listening. See, what's important for us to understand is that as part of God's bigger plan and bigger picture, we may not see what's really going on in our life. And I, I want to speak to particularly those of us who, uh, well, conception is an enormous uh, part of this passage. You know, perhaps there's some of you who uh, cannot conceive. And God hasn't. Well, this isn't saying you don't have enough faith. It isn't saying that uh, you should be praying more. What it's saying is that God is the one who has a picture and a plan for his kingdom. And he will work out that plan in each of our lives. See, and it's not just about conception. It might be marriage. It might be your workplace. It might be whatever it is that's happening in your life, whatever it is that you want and you're praying about. Well, this passage isn't saying pray harder. It's saying that God does have a big plan. He does have a bigger picture. There is a kingdom of God that you're a part of that he is using you in whatever form and whatever way your life is going in order to build that kingdom. And sometimes it hurts. And sometimes, like Leah, even when you're miserable, God is using you. And even when you are happy, God is using you. It's not about feeling joy and feeling misery. It's about faithfully walking the path through that. We have to keep pushing back on this idea that Christians need to be happy Christians need to be always going, yes, praise the Lord. I spent Thursday morning at Parkley Prison. Twelve inmates sitting in a room 
I have no idea what they've done in their life, but I know they're in prison. They're not on remand, they've been sentenced. And as I'm sitting there and we're doing the Alpha course and they're all uh, engaged in their own way, some of them highly intellectual with these questions that go right into the science of creation. Some of them with big questions about why is there suffering? All the same questions as we have. Some of them miserable. Probably none of them happy. Now, am I going to walk in there and say, well, have enough faith, pray to God, and you can walk around being fantastically joyful and happy all the time? No. Does the the Lord bring joy to your life? Absolutely. He grounds it. And he makes it worthwhile and he gives you purpose. And there's purpose in suffering, there's purpose in rejoicing, there's purpose in every single element of your life. And you know what? If you're a prisoner and you come to the Lord, there is even purpose in you being in prison. There is precedent right through the Bible for that. The point, I think, of this passage is that we are watching God enabling parts of life to happen and not happen because as you turn the pages and you keep going, that through this line of Judah, which was the name for joy and praise to God, comes the Messiah, comes the promised one, comes through all this Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, dead and buried, and on the third day was raised again to life. And that was always part of his plan. And as Jacob and Leah and, 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 and Rachel are uh, building their own soap operas around mandrake plants and, 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 and dysfunction and selling husbands and whatever it is, God is working through that. All they know is what is before them. And you know the two people that I've felt for the most this week in this passage? Zilpah and Bilhah. What about them? Is hope for them? Or are they just, are they just forgotten people? Well, have a look. Some of their children have now been pillars of God's people that through which the Messiah has come and through which the, the whole world is given salvation. These two servants who now have names that I am talking about in 2023. I'm sure their life wasn't so great. Go and sleep with my husband so then I can take your child from you and call your child my own. That can't be good. So whatever you desire, whether God grants it to you or he doesn't grant it to you, it doesn't determine whether he is blessing you or whether he loves you. The determining factor of whether God loves you or he is blessing you has been once and for all determined and achieved on the cross. And the answer to that is simply he does. And whenever you question him, look to the cross and you will find your blessing 
and you will find his love. Father God, thank you that you are a God who enables and that in every element of our life and in every element of this broken and fallen reality, you are working your purposes out. Father, thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you that uh, all things work for the good of those who love you. Thank you that uh, the paths which we walk have been paved by you. Thank you that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil for you are with us. Thank you that you lead us between, be, beside green paths. Uh, make us lay down in green pastures and lead us beside quiet waters. Thank you that in the turmoil of relationships and breakdowns and, 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 and a world which is uh, antagonistic towards your truths, that we don't need to fear, that love drives out fear because you have driven that fear out through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. And Father God, thank you that as we open this word, we can see you, that you have enabled, that you have listened, that you have uh, acted. And Father, that is your promise to us, that you listen, that you enable, and you act. And so Father God, we pray a blessing over the week ahead, and I do pray for those who are going through whatever they are going through in this congregation. And for those who are online, simply because they cannot make it here, as they persevere in their faith, I pray that they will look to the cross and find your blessing and find your love that is never-ending never and everlasting. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.